Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. Fulfill your purposes right now in this time. So we give you thanks, Father. We commit this message to you and ask that you would lead it, Lord, and just guide the words. Guide me, Lord, and lead it, uh, Lord, to just to your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open up your Bible to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. It's One of Paul's many letters, the Apostle Paul wrote many letters, 13 of them are included in Scripture. 2 Corinthians is toward the beginning of them because it's one of the longer ones. You have Romans and 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 4, starting at verse 16. I'll probably get there in a couple minutes. I just want to uh, kind of review a little bit from last week. This message is going to kind of follow up from last week a little bit and uh, touch on a little bit of what was released over the weekend. So uh, last week I did a message called The Battle for Our Focus. The battle for our focus. There is a battle, there is a war for our time, for our attention, and for our focus. I shared this uh, kind of a well-known story from Luke chapter uh, 10 there at the end of Luke 10 about Mary and Martha. There was the two of them there where Martha invited Jesus into her house, but Mary was the one that made Jesus the center of attention. And so it said that Mary was distracted with much serving, She wasn't distracted by sinning. She was distracted by serving. Obviously, sin can be a major distraction, but it's not the only thing that can be a distraction. We could actually be distracted by good things if we're not careful, and and we don't keep Jesus at the center, and, and, and we don't live from that place of relationship with him because Jesus said, one thing is needed because everything comes from that place of relationship with God. And if the devil can get us distracted from that place, fruitfulness comes from abiding in the vine. If he can disconnect us from the vine, then he can dry up the fruit. And so he knows if he can't get us tripped up in sin and deception and compromise, if he can just distract our time, if he can distract our attention and our focus, then the enemy can gain some, some ground. So I talked about that last week, and if you were here over the weekend, the first night, uh, Jeremiah Johnson released a, a really just powerful word on the significance of the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul was talking about how significant the, uh, the resurrection is. It is so core to our beliefs, and how we can just maybe make it an Easter thing, you know, once a year, uh, we just might celebrate it or think about it, but no, it's core, it's central to our Walk with God to Christianity, to our foundations. And that was what the early church lived by. You know, when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, and when he appeared to his, to his apostles and other, other believers, and in Acts chapter 1, he said, you'll be witnesses. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses. What were they witnesses of? They were witnesses of the resurrection. They were witnesses of his death and of his resurrection. They were witnesses, they were eyewitnesses that Jesus is alive. Is there music playing in the background? I, can't, I, I feel like I hear like a little bit of music. I don't know if that's... I'm not sure if there was music playing, but if, that, if there is, we can... Okay. Um, here's the thing about especially in our 
uh, upbringing, if, if, if many of us were brought up in Christian families and in Christian homes, it can be so easy for truths and doctrines to be known as information, but not revelation. It can be so easy for us to intellectually be able to grasp the truths of the gospel, the story of the gospel, what Jesus did for us. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand. We can understand it intellectually. We can understand that he paid the price for our sin. But if it is not a true revelation to us by the Spirit of God, then it's not going to have the impact. It's not, then then we, we won't be able to live it out the way we're meant to live it out. And we need a, a fresh, I believe, revelation of the resurrection. That Jesus is alive. And Jesus wants to demonstrate that he's alive. Every time a person has a conversion, it's a demonstration that Jesus is alive. A conversion. That's a, that's a turning to God. That is not just a person that, that just makes a, uh, I think, you know, we've, we've gotten into trouble, I believe, because instead of, in, instead of wanting to see conversion, we want to see decision. A conversion involves genuine repentance, a heart that was turned to God, and, and, and there's transformation in it. It's not just about a decision it's, it's about a heart that is turned to God, a conversion. When there is a true conversion and there is transformation in a person's life, that is a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a witness that Jesus is alive. Because that can't happen by human resources. My life is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. I was in bondage to sin. I was enslaved by sin. I was in bondage to deception. I was, and there was a conversion that happened and my life was changed. I could not do that by my own human power. I couldn't do that by my own strength. I needed a savior. I needed a salvation. I needed to be set free. When a person is healed, when there's a physical healing, miraculous healing, it is a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when, when there is a supernatural healing, a miraculous healing that happens that cannot be explained by science, can't be explained by natural means, can't be explained because a person had Medicaid. No, it's a witness of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. When a person gets delivered from bondage and torment, when a person gets delivered from evil spirits and oppression, it is a witness of the resurrection. And we've, we've so settled in our westernized Christianity for a, for, a, for a Christianity that's more just about information and not demonstration and not revelation. Where, where in the New Testament, the Christianity that they lived by was infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. It was infused with a demonstration of the kingdom of God. It was infused with a, with a revelation that Jesus is alive. I, this, this dropped into my heart last night. Somebody that was here in the meeting last night, man, it seems like, um, seems like that was like a week ago already. <laughs> it was just last night. So many, so many things happening. 
But um, somebody came up to me during worship last night. I don't think he's here tonight, uh, Mark, but uh, he came up to me and he said, he just, he, he just shared what he felt like God was putting on his heart. And it resonated about a call. He said, when the tomb was opened, it wasn't only to, for Jesus to you know, come out, but it was an invitation for us to see, to go in. And, and I, as, as you share that, I, I immediately thought about Peter and John when they ran, they ran to the tomb because they had heard, right? Because Mary Magdalene had come to them and said, we, found, we saw it, Jesus, you know, he's alive. And, and, and so they, Peter and John go running. John is careful to mention that he beat Peter. Just for the record, you know, just for the record, just, just, to, just so it's in, it's, it's, it's in the eternal uh, record book here. But it just, it just struck me as I was in that place yesterday in worship that, you know, here the apostle Paul had a sovereign revelation that Jesus was alive. I mean, Jesus visited him. Jesus blinded him, knocked him off his horse. And G Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. But it was a sovereign revelation. But Peter and John pursued that. They, 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 they ran to it. They had to get up out of their seat. They had to go and do something and get there. And I'm not saying you can earn anything in God, but there is, a, there is there's this concept of, of hunger and, and of pursuit. And the Bible says he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so I, I have a fresh stirring in my heart for, to pursue this, to see a fresh understanding by the Spirit of God, not just because I intellectually understand it, that Jesus is alive, that it's rooted in my heart, that's, that it's grounded in my spirit. Last night in the meeting, he, uh, he addressed a lot of things. <laughs> but it, but, but the, the God's judgment on the house of God and the end of celebrity Christianity and I, I resonate with that 100%. 100%. It doesn't say entertaining the saints. It says equipping the saints. The call of, the, of, of, of leadership is to equip and to raise up an army. And there, there's been a shaking happening in this earth. And I agree with what he was sharing about about how, the, how God wants to um, bring a cleansing to his house to remove some things and even close some doors and even remove some influences. Because so much of what we have done has been only in human power. Sorry, I haven't even started my message. I haven't even... <laughs> 2 Corinthians. What I want to share about, I want to, I want to really kind of follow up on last week and some of the messages from this weekend. But what I, what I want to talk about is being focused on eternity. 
You know, last week in the battle for our focus, I talked about, you know, being focused on Jesus first and foremost and living from the place of relationship with him, not allowing distractions to pull us away from that place. Not like we live like monks. I said that last week. We're not, we're not monks, right? We live in a world. We have responsibilities. We have families. We have jobs. Uh, but, but we live from that place and we prioritize above all else. We set things in order, we set things in order when we put God first and we put our relationship with him first. But today I want to focus on, in a similar way, living for eternity, having a, an understanding of an eternal perspective that should change the way we live today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice he's comparing outward versus inward. Then he says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice how many things he's comparing and contrasting in this. He says, yes, maybe outwardly we're being wasted away. Maybe outwardly we're being stretched. Outwardly we're, being per we're, we're perishing. And if you look at the context, you go back several verses, and what he calls light affliction we would probably call pretty intense suffering. Because he talks about in verse 9, we're persecuted. Sorry, verse 8, we're hard-pressed on every side. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry about in us the death of the Lord Jesus, that the life of him may be manifest. He goes through these, all these things that they're going through, intense suffering. But he says it's a light affliction. Notice the comparison of the outward to the inward, right? Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man, the inward reality, our spiritual life is thriving. It's being renewed day by day. Notice the momentary versus the eternal, right? This, he says, this light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a greater measure of glory, eternal glory, time and eternity. So outward versus inward, time versus eternity, seen versus unseen. Verse 18, he talks about, we don't look at the things that are seen, that we can see with our physical eyes. We look at the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. So one of the secrets to the Apostle Paul's ministry, and you can see it in many of his writings, he, he, he focuses on eternity in many of his writings. He points people to eternal realities throughout his, his letters. You can find different parts of that. One of his secrets is that he was rooted in a revelation of eternity. And that changed his perspective now. And that changed his choices now. That changed how he lived now. There are some things that you and I will never understand until eternity. There's just some things we are never going to figure out. There's some things we're never going to understand the reason why 
or this happened, or why that happened, or we went through this or that. There's certain things, we're just never gonna even understand it until we get to eternity. And then there's some things that we will never be able to understand or accept unless we have an eternal perspective. Like suffering, like martyrdom. What looks like a loss in the natural. Like when Stephen, the first martyr, Seems like such a loss for the early church. It seems like, well, how could God let that happen? No, we have to have an eternal perspective. Jesus gave him a standing ovation when he was being stoned. There was an explosion of the kingdom of God that erupted after Stephen was martyred. And if you only look at it from a natural standpoint, if you only look at it from a human standpoint, then you see it as a, a horrible loss. Well, man, here's this up-and-coming leader. Man, he's, so, he's anointed. He's an evangelist. He has these signs and wonders are working through him. He's bringing people to Christ. All of a sudden, oh, he gets taken out. What, what a loss. What a, from a human perspective, from a natural perspective, from a time perspective, from an eternal perspective, there's a greater weight of glory. There's certain things we will never be able to understand until eternity. And there's certain things we won't be able to come to grips with or come into agreement with God's way with unless we have an eternal perspective today. Life is short. James says it's like a vapor. What is your life? It's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here today. It's gone. Every one of us, every single one of us will go into eternity. And none of us knows when that will be. None of us knows when that will be. But, but the only thing between you and eternity is time. Right? I mean, a hundred years from now, we're going to be in eternity. Unless someone has that Moses anointing and lives to 120. <laughs> Maybe some of the young ones. So. Right? That's the only thing keeping us. So here's the question I have for you then. Life is short. Eternity is long. That's an understatement. It's long. Eternity is forever, right? You can't even, you can't even fully comprehend it in our minds because we live in such a finite, right, in our humanity and in our intellectual like, understanding, we can't even comprehend the concept of eternity, so life is so short compared to eternity. So my question is this, are you living for now what's going to matter then? Are you living today for what will matter in eternity? Imagine this, imagine if you had one day that determined the rest of your life. You had one day and what you did in that one day was gonna impact the trajectory of every other day of your life. And that's what our life is. Our life is that one day. Our life on earth is that one day that will impact 
eternity. And first and foremost, that relates to salvation. I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm not just talking about heaven or hell, although that is reality. And we need to know what it means to be born again, what it means to be saved. And if, and if you're in this room, I know Paul talked about this during communion. If you don't understand what that means, and if the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart and, you're, and, and, and you want to know what it means to truly be born again, to know Jesus, But I'm not just talking about heaven and hell, like salvation. I'm also talking about our lives and how we're living. And, and, and the impact it'll have in eternity. Nobody gets to the end of their life and they're on their, their deathbed and they're you know, they know they're, they're, they're coming to the end and says, gee, I wish I would have watched more TV. Man, I just, I wish I would have spent hours more on scrolling on Facebook or, or playing video. I, I wish I would have played more video games in my life. Right? I mean... Who comes to the end of their life and is thinking that? But there's a battle for our focus. There's a battle for your time. There's a battle for your, it is a battle. And that's why Paul is exhorting them not to get their minds focused on the things that are temporary. He said, don't allow yourself to be consumed with things that are not going to mean anything once you get into eternity. There's a, because it's so, this world is made to distract you. This world is made to dumb down the truth and to bring deception and to pull us away from eternal purposes. Because, because again, the devil, if he can't, if he can't keep you away from knowing God, he'll try, to, he'll try to neutralize you. He'll try to distract you. He'll try to keep you from being fruitful to the fullest, fullest ability that God can do. I mean, can, can, you, can you believe that eternity is real? Like heaven is real, hell is real. And we can just kind of float through life as just, as if it's not even like a reality. Because of the distraction and this and that. And, and we don't always want to face these eternal truths or these realities because they can be sobering. If anybody's ever experienced, you know, grief of a, a, a death of a loved one, especially if it was like sudden, like we had an experience that just three, almost three years ago where, where my brother-in-law, my, my wife's brother tragically died in a car accident. Just, it was, and out of nowhere, there was no preparation for it. There was no, it wasn't like, you know, when a person is, it's still tragic, right? When a person is sick and is prolonged and they die, it's still very tragic. But, but when there's this sudden effect where all of a sudden a person that you knew that you saw on a regular basis, it just all, it's like, it's, it's like a surreal feeling. It's like, they're just, that's it. It's just, you're not going to see there. They're. And it just, it brings, it confronts us with this reality that life is a vapor. It really is. 
And there's only the eternal things that are gonna, we're gonna bring with us into that next reality. Lo- loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. The sharing the gospel and, and being used in the Lord to bring people into the kingdom or the way that we, things that we did unto the Lord. I did jot this little note down. So I'm going to read. I got a couple of sentences I was jotted down as I was praying this afternoon. There is a tension between time and eternity, between earthly responsibilities and heavenly realities. We do not neglect earthly responsibilities because of eternity. We steward earthly responsibilities with eternity in view. Time is preparation for eternity. See, there is a tension between time and eternity because we do live in time. We do, we are humans. Although when you're born again, you're not only human. Now you're a new creation in Christ. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and your spirits come to life. So there's this tension. Like, and Paul, Paul continues to talk about it in this uh, Actually, right after verse 18, I read, going into chapter 5, he says, we know this earthly house, this tent. He's calling his body like an earthly house, a tent. He said that when when that's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So he's acknowledging this tension. He's like, yeah, I have this earthly body. It's like this tent that's eventually going to be destroyed. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He keeps going through that. There there is a tension between time and eternity, between earthly responsibilities and heavenly realities. So again, I'm not saying we neglect responsibilities. Like, we earn an income. We have a job. We have a family. We take care of things. we, we, We do well with those things. But we can still have an eternal perspective as we do them. And that should change how we do them. Because... The scripture says that whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you can do it all to the glory of God. So you can literally do mundane tasks and you can be like, well, why does this even matter? Like, you know, if eternity is real, then, oh man, I remember when I was in college, I wrestled through this. Because I was, you know, I was pretty new in, in the faith and had just had a pretty radical conversion. And I was so on fire for God. I was devouring scripture. And then I'm sitting in calculus class. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? Why, how am I ever going to, how is this ever going to matter? And there's some truth in that, but. (laughs) But I was like, I should just drop out of school and I should just, you know. Had some good conversations with my dad. He he helped me understand better. But we can, but but we can sometimes think, well, what's the point? Like, you know, my day-to-day job, my mundane tasks or, you know, just. Seems meaningless, right? Yeah. But nothing is meaningless when it's done for the glory of God. Because it's about the heart posture. It's about the heart posture that says no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. And when you do something as unto the Lord, 
It takes something that might seem insignificant and makes it significant. You can do something that seems significant, but if you're doing it in the wrong motive, in the wrong heart, it's not for the glory of God. Then, then it's actually, you know, preaching, ministering. And if the heart posture is not in the right place, something that seems so good and so holy or like whatever, God's not impressed. He's looking for the heart that's after him. He's looking for the heart that wants to obey him and glorify him and, and see his kingdom advanced. And, and so a, a person that's in, quote, ministry with, with a heart that's far away from God versus a, you know, a person that's a waiter or a waitress at a local restaurant, but their heart is, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. I'm going to serve God in my work. I'm going to serve these customers by the, by, with the heart of God. That person is more focused on eternity than a, a preacher that does not have the right heart or motives. Every one of us then can live with an eternal perspective. And it is preparation. Our time is preparation for eternity. There's the one parable Jesus told. You know, we know the parable of the talents. Uh, and I, th I think it's in Luke's version. He talks about how he gave each one a talent, and one of them turned it into ten, one of the five. And he said, well done. Because you are faithful in this, I'm going to put you in charge of ten cities. See, faithfulness in those little things carry an eternal value. So when I talk about living in with eternity in mind, I'm not talking about neglecting your job and saying, well, okay, I'm just going to, I don't need to go to my job today because I'm going to live in eternity, right? I don't need to take care of my family because, you know, no, it's not it at all. But there should be an understanding in us that we're living in a temporary state, a temporary condition. This is not our home. This is not our home. We are literally passing through, going into an eternal home. And that should change things about our perspective and how we live. And that's why Paul could go through suffering and him and Silas could be singing hymns in the prison. After being beaten and flogged and whipped, you know, the story in the book of Acts, right? They get beaten and they're, you know, and their response is at midnight, they're praying and singing hymns to God. You can't do that unless you have an eternal perspective. Unless you have a revelation of the resurrected Jesus. But if you, if you do, you can do. If, you, if, you have a, if you're living from eternity, from that perspective, you can actually have that posture. So, as I was, again, praying into this, I thought about how this could be applied personally and also to a church body. There's both applications. You know, personally speaking, you can ask yourself questions like, what is my focus? Am I spending time on things that matter? And there's, there's room for recreation. You know, even God built in rest. Right? You know, he built in rest. But our lives should not just be all about 
temporary things and just living the life and just going through and just acquiring wealth and just, just, you know, all those things that in and of themselves might not be wrong, but they're not our focus. So what is my focus? Am I spending time on things that matter? The great commandment of Jesus, the great commission, seeking first the kingdom of God. He said the Gentiles run after this and that. They run after how am I going to eat and where am I going to sleep and how am I going to make a living? That's their pursuit. He says that's not should be for you. He said you seek first the kingdom of God. Your father knows you need those things, but you pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Am I living in light of eternity? You can ask yourself personal questions like that. But I also thought about it as a church body. Turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 through 15. This is again Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But each one must, each one, sorry, let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. In other words, of what quality it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet as through fire. What is he, what is he talking about? He's talking about a judgment that's coming not for salvation. He says he will be saved, but his work will be burned up. So he's, he's talking about how he was, he, him and the other apostles and leaders in, that, in, the, um, in this time, that they were, he said, we're God's fellow workers. We're God's builders. He said, by the grace of God, God's allowed me to be a, a wise master builder, functioning as an apostle, building the house of God, setting things in place. And he said that there's no other foundation that can be laid except for Jesus Christ. So Jesus, number one, has to be the foundation. Jesus Christ himself must be the foundation. But then he says... That, that on that foundation, there's different ways that things can be built. And there's different building materials. And some of them are precious, and some of them are not precious. Gold, silver, precious stone. They're costly, they're precious, they're valuable. And he said, you can build on that foundation with gold, silver, or precious stone. Or, he said, you can build with wood, hay, or straw. Which is more common. Not precious, not costly. And what's interesting is, is that it's not always obvious 
in that to the natural eye, what the quality is like. But he says the day will declare it. And even last night, as Jeremiah was sharing about the judgment on God's house and the, the condition of the American church, not just to be pessimistic, because we want to have solutions, we want to be the answer, but, but it's, it's a reality. How much of what is currently being built in the American church system on the day will literally just be burned up like fire and will amount to zero? And when you live in light of eternity, you have to think of that day. That what we are building, and we, as an, as an elder team, as a church, as a leadership, we, we know that, that there is a day that literally the work will be tested of what quality it is. And if we compromise, and if we say, well... We're just going to do it this way because this is the way churches get big. And this is how, you know, or if we just, well, this person wants to do it that way. And this person wants to do that. When I stand before God, I can't use that excuse and say, well, they told me to do it this way. This person wanted me to have that program, this program. No, the quality of the work will be tested by fire to see of what sort it is. And it will either burn up and be counted for nothing or it will be gold, silver and precious stone that will survive the test of eternity. So when we apply this to a setting of a, of a church, of a local congregation, right? Building the house of God. Building what? Whose house? God's house. So if it's his house, it has to be built according to his design and his direction. And there are certain things that become non-negotiable then. There are certain things that become not a matter of preference. This is why you hear me trumpet time after time after time after time. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's the only, it's the way God defines his house. It's the defining characteristic of the house of God. Is this a house of prayer? Why do we emphasize prayer? Because it's popular? No. Because it's what gathers the big crowds? No. Because it's, it's because it's God's house. And that's what he wants. That's what he says his house is. That's why we have prayer meetings happening all throughout the week. That's why we emphasize prayer in our corporate meetings. That's why it might feel uncomfortable at times for people that you know, I understand. I didn't come from a church that where corporate prayer was involved, but, but, we, but we, we move in that direction and we allow it to happen and we, we encourage it, we facilitate it because that's what God wants in his house. That's what God said his house is. 
And at the end of the day, because it's God's house, he gets to decide what it looks like. It's like if you're building a house, you're the owner, you're paying the, you're, you're footing the bill. You might have some subcontractors and workers and construction people, but they're not doing it according to their own blueprint. They're doing it according to what you paid for. Not on their preference, on yours. Who's the owner? So are, is what we are building going to pass the test of time? Are we building according to God's design, according to God's direction? And that is what we are in pursuit of. And I would never stand up here and claim that, oh, we got it all together. We're doing it just right. We're doing it perfectly. We're, that's not at all what I would say. I'm not saying that. I'm saying our heart posture, as best as we know, our heart posture is to honor God and to build according to God's design and according to his direction. As best as we know how. Because what is a house for? It's for a person to dwell in. The house of God is the dwelling place of God. God's looking for a dwelling place. But the house only gets filled with the glory of God when it's built according to God's design. And you see that pattern all throughout Scripture. Let's stand to our feet here. Let's stand to our feet. You know, going into this next month, this, we're in it now, this last month of the year, really just setting some extra time aside, just being with the Lord and just waiting on him, just setting aside extra time, uh, just to sit with him, be with him, wait upon him. As an elder team, we're actually, we're meeting tomorrow night. We're just, we're praying together. We're, we, we always pray together, but we're specifically talking, you know, bigger picture and God, what are you saying for you know, moving forward and just bigger picture vision and direction and values. And, and we, there are certain things that we believe God's already shown us and vision that's been released. And then there's things that are going to unfold over time. And we want to be flexible and led by the Holy Spirit in what it looks like. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a process of time. But there's certain things that we, we know already that are built into the foundation. Right? I, I mentioned prayer. It's built into the foundation. The centrality of Jesus Christ, the foundation of Jesus, that, that we are here for him and being built by him, the house that he builds. But I just want to, I want to take some time just to pray together as a corporate body. Um, because I said our, our, yeah, our, our, our elder team is going to be praying, meeting tomorrow night. But I just really felt like we we're supposed to respond for a few minutes, maybe five, ten minutes of just having some time of prayer. And so what I want to do is um, I want to actually ask to gather in some groups. So if you if you are leading one of our prayer meetings, we have I don't know how many, six or seven different prayer meetings that are happening during the week. If you are if you're if you're one of the leaders of those meetings, would you, would you raise your hand if you're just. This is the prayer meeting leader section, apparently. Okay, um, would you guys spread out a little bit? Move 
Because what I want you to do is even we can move. There's a middle section here. Section. There. What I want to do is I want I want um, I want you to begin to gather around. So you can begin to move out of your seats and just find one of those people and uh, just let's let's gather in groups of 10, 15, however many. And let's spend the next 10 minutes just praying. We're going to spend the next 10 minutes praying and interceding. Let me just uh, pray first here just to kind of finish this, this message. Um, and then I'm going to release you guys to pray. Father, I just thank you, God, that you are drawing our attention to eternal things tonight, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are um, just giving us a fresh perspective, Lord, that time is not forever, God. Eternity is forever, God. This life, it truly is a vapor, Lord, compared to eternity. God, and I ask you to grip me with an eternal perspective. God, I ask you to grip me, Lord, and grip the hearts of the people in this room, God, with a perspective of eternity, Lord, that would cause us to change the way we live today. God, it would cause us to value things that are eternal. It would cause us to fix our eyes on that which is eternal, Lord, and not be so caught up in the temporary that we miss it, Lord. God, we don't want to waste our time. God, we don't just want to go through life missing what you have for us of seeking your kingdom. God, we don't just want to go through time aimlessly. So I pray that over each one of us here, God, that you would give us that fresh revelation, Lord. Let, let, let this word confront us, Lord. Let this word wake us up. Let this word draw us, God, to a greater place of living because we're living in light of eternity to the glory of God. And I pray that, Lord, over this church body, God, that you would give us Eyes for eternity, God, that what we build would be gold, silver, precious stone that passes the test of time. Let's just now begin to gather in the groups. And I just, I, I just want us to have some time of intercession, just praying for, I want us to pray for our church body, for the house that God's building here, and just that, that the Holy Spirit would be, would be leading, would be guiding, and just Begin to pray that. You can use it as a starting point and then just let the Holy Spirit lead you in your, in your prayer times. But we're going to close tonight just with a five or ten minutes of just focused intercession. And I just want to encourage you again, if this is new for you and being in groups like this and praying out loud, if it's new for you, I encourage you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit um, and uh, let's just begin to pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Father, let your Holy Spirit lead our prayers.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I, now let's take some time and let's just begin to intercede for this region. Let's begin to, let's begin to lift up prayers and intercession over Lancaster County, praying, praying for, um, for salvation, praying for the lost to be drawn by the, by, by the Holy Spirit, praying for the church in this region. Just, just, let's, just let's begin to pray and intercede and stand in the gap for, uh, for this region. Come on, let's not be shy. Let's just begin to lift up our voices. Let's just begin to lift up our voices. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for Lancaster County, God. And we declare, Jesus, that you are Lord over Lancaster County, Lord. You are Lord over this region. And God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will begin to move through this region, Father. God, that you'd begin to draw people unto yourself, Lord. You begin to call the prodigals home, God. You begin to draw them by your spirit, Lord. God, that you'd begin to awaken your people, Lord. That you'd awaken your church, Father. Father, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just keep praying. Just intercede for this region. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in prayer. Thank you, Father. Let's let the sound of intercession fill this house. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, God. Father, let Lancaster County, Lord, experience a visitation, Lord, of your spirit again, Lord. God, we pray that you would release, God, a fresh outpouring of the spirit of God, Lord, to bring a revival, to bring a harvest of souls, Father. Lord, we pray that your people would be fixed on eternal things, Lord, eternal realities, God. Father, we pray that your church, you would bring cleansing in your house, God. Lord, you bring cleansing, Lord. God, you'd remove where there's perversion, God. You'd remove, God. Lord, where we've strayed, Lord, you would awaken your people, Father. Father. Lord, prepare a people for your glory, God. Let the glory of God, Father, be across this region, Lord. Thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. God, I thank you for the young people, Lord, in this region. God, I thank you, Lord, that you begin to call the young people in this region to yourself. God, you begin to call, Lord, children, Lord. You begin to call youth, God. You begin to call them out of darkness, God, and into your light, God. Out of sin and out of bondage, Lord, and into your freedom, into your salvation, Lord. In the name of Jesus, God, draw the young people to yourself, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We're just going to pray for one more minute. You guys are doing great. We are, we're learning to break away from spectator Christianity and into participating, into being an army, not just an audience. Just one more minute of, just, of intercession and we'll be, we'll be finishing up here soon. Thank you, God.
Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you're placing a fresh anointing upon intercessors, God. A fresh anointing, Lord. Lord, the spirit of grace and supplication, Lord. God, an intercession, Lord. Lord, would you grip our hearts with Holy Spirit-led intercession. Holy Spirit-led prayer, God. Holy Spirit-led intercession, Lord. Thank you, God, for a fresh wind. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, Father, right now, I just declare, Lord, over Lancaster County, God, we say your kingdom come, Father. God, your kingdom come, Lord, in this region. God, your will be done, Lord, in this region, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. God, we just say in agreement, Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord over this county and over this region, Father. And God, we just yield ourselves to you afresh tonight, Lord, to be focused on eternal things, God, to be seeking first your kingdom in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's just give the Lord a praise. Thank you, God. Look at this army. Look at this army. You're not an audience. You're not an audience. You're not an audience. We don't come to church just to sit in a pew and spectate. God's calling us to be participants. He's calling us to be equipped and part of the army. And it's, it feels a little uncomfortable at first and it feels a little odd and we're not, we're not, we're not used to church this way and that's okay because God is in it and God's leading. So uh, just, yeah, I wanna encourage you to continue even throughout this week to be having that time in the secret place, in the word and in prayer and, and just being with him. But uh, my prayer this week, and I wanna encourage you to adopt it, is uh, God, give me fresh eyes for eternity and give me a, a, a truer, deeper revelation of what it means that Jesus is alive. Not just that it's a mental, intellectual thing, but I wanna, I wanna have a greater knowing and in a, in a, in a revelation of that. So, whoo! We've had church. <laughs> we are the church, even better. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com. Thank you.